Welcome to Shouts of Grace Radio, practical conversations from God's Word, hosted by Utah's own Pastor Steve Pearson of Redemption Hill Church in Saratoga Springs. At Shouts of Grace Radio, it's our purpose to encourage you to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. Today, we're taking a break from our regular format to sit in on the teaching ministry at Redemption Hill Church. So, get out your Bible and let's get started. If you have a Bible this morning, turn to John chapter 7, verse 37. The reason I wanted to go through this is before, probably about three months ago, um, I, was, I was kind of mulling over in my mind something that was really troubling um, that I'm looking out in the world today and I'm seeing really amongst the church. And what I'm seeing is just this, there's no other way of putting it, this, this growing powerlessness against the world, almost to the point where the world is telling the church what to do and dictating to the world how it should act and what its conduct should be. And, and I don't see the same thing that you used to see in time past where the church engages the world and changes culture and radically transforms it and people are coming in the groves and falling down and bowing down because they're sinners. And, and, and you just sense, I'm not saying that doesn't happen anymore, but you sense this tide changing where the world's having more of an impact on us and on how we think. And so I thought, man, where's the power at, God? Like, why is there a generation coming up in the church that is okay with sitting there, listening to this, but when it comes to going out into the world that needs to be saved, there's an impotence there. There's like a lack of power. There's a fear. And I don't know if fear is just grip people But I do know when you boil it all down to a point, it seems to be a lack of trust in the power of God. That somehow, you know, if I open my mouth, well, what if I blow it and say the wrong thing? And so people are kind of recoiling, and if I say the wrong thing, and it turns out to be, you know, or if I say the right thing, and it turns out to be what society says is the wrong thing, oh my gosh, do you know what they'll do to me? And so however it's working, I'm just noticing this is a sad, sad day that Christians are not living up to all their potential as far as advancing God's kingdom. And so I thought this is a great series to go through this series called Empowered. In week one, we are looking at the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I know it's a really weird thing for a lot of people, but Jesus calls him, and we looked at Jesus calls him the, the other helper, Right? In other words, Jesus said, I'm leaving, I'm sending another helper, Allah's parakletos, of the same kind, a different person of the same kind, to come alongside you and be with you forever. He's going to be with you forever. He ain't leaving you. When Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, I'll be with you always, he is talking about him. I'm going to send him to you. God is going to always be with you. He'll never leave you. He'll wake you up in the middle of the night to talk to you. That's the Holy Spirit. He'll tell you, no, don't do that. That's the Holy Spirit. Say, yes, go there. Move there. Giving you peace, giving you conviction. All the Holy Spirit, you interact with him more than any other person every single day of your life. And often, oftentimes, don't even recognize it. And then in week two, we looked at this idea that the Spirit has a voice, that he talks. Jesus said he won't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he's going to take to you and he's going to disclose it to you. And so he talks. And we learned that when you become a Christian, you, you have to learn the voice of the Lord. It's not like you just come out and go, you know, well, that was God. And, and people that often do that are weird. 
right? You, you, you learn to hear him by making mistakes. I thought that was the Lord. That was a really epic fail on my part. And you grow. But the longer you walk with the Lord and the more you stick with it, you start to understand what his conviction sounds like before we do the dumb, right? And we saw that Samuel had to learn the voice of the Lord three times until he finally said, yes, Lord, your servant hears. And then last week, we saw that there are three interactions with the Holy Spirit that Scripture warns us against. Number one, don't resist him. Don't resist him. And that's what Stephen was telling the people in Acts 7 when he shared with them. And he said, you stiff-necked people who always resist the Holy Spirit. Resisting the Holy Spirit means that when he's trying to talk with his voice to lead you to eternal life, you put stakes in the ground and you say, "Uh uh-uh, I don't want it. We're warned. Don't resist that voice. Scripture tells us in Hebrews, if today you hear the voice of the Lord, don't harden your heart. And so what we're told is that this idea of pride and resisting the Spirit is is ingrained in humanity. And we're warned, don't do it. And then the second reaction we saw was that we can grieve him in Ephesians 4. And that has to do holiness. It has to do when God is trying to purify us, when we're putting off the old man and putting on the new, and that fight that we go back and forth with all of the time, and it's just that struggle of Galatians 5, the flesh against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and they're pounding each other every day. He warns us, don't grieve the spirit. Don't give in to the flesh. It has something called corruption that is a tailgater, and it will go and attach itself to your life. And the last one, and we ended last week, and I said it was the beginning of this week, was that we are not to quench him. We're not to quench him. And the word quench there is a word to mean to douse a fire or to put something out that's been put ablaze. When you got saved, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God lit a fire in you. And specifically, this quenching in 1 Thessalonians 5, which he's talking about, is dealing with spiritual gifts. Now, there's a whole mess of them. I know people only look at a couple because they're the cool ones, right? But there's a whole mess of them. And what he's saying is, when God wants to do a work in your life, don't stop him. Don't quench him. And so, this morning what I want to do is I want to begin by looking at a verse that we looked at a couple weeks ago. Turn there to John 7, 37. It should be there, and let's read it. Jesus is standing on the last day of a feast, and it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus here, you guys, is referencing the Old Testament when he says, as the scripture has said, right? Whenever you see him saying that, he'll point back. He's quoting either the law, the prophets, or the writings. And he says, as the scripture has said, 
out of your heart will flow, innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Talking about the indwelling of the believer in the Old Testament. Here's the problem. Jesus is referencing something that doesn't exist. What do I mean? You're not going to find that anywhere in the Old Testament. You're not going to find the the phrase, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Listen, there are times when Jesus quotes the Old Testament, right? You remember in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, Jesus te- or Satan takes him into the wilderness and he tempts him. And he says, if you're the son of God, take these stones and turn them into bread. And Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, right? He's actually quoting verbatim Deuteronomy 8.3. It's written. He's going back into the Torah and he's saying, here, Satan takes him up to the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down because it's written that he'll give angels charge over you and you won't let one foot be dashed against a stone. And Jesus responds to him and says, it is written, you shall not test the Lord your God, quoting Deuteronomy 6.16. In other words, Jesus is pointing him back and saying, here, it is written. But here in John 7, Jesus refers to a scripture that doesn't directly say anything like that. In fact, it's nowhere to be found, but instead what he does is he uses the shadow of an Old Testament reference to point to the image of what life in the Spirit should look like. And there's only one place that he could be referencing, and it's in Ezekiel 47, where it talks about a river. So turn there for a second, because I find it very interesting as he references this, about what it means to have the Holy Spirit flowing. He's, not, he's talking about a temple. So let's, let's kind of lay this out real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Bible refers to the believer as the temple of the living God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 gets more specific. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So as a believer, he, you are his home when he comes to reside inside of you. And so now Jesus says, as the scripture has said, he goes back to an example in the Old Testament of a temple and a river that comes out of it. And it's not by accident. Ezekiel chapter 47, and look at verse one. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. Let me remind you, this is speaking of a temple that is Past Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple is laying in ruins as Ezekiel writes it. So this is a future temple. He says, he brought me to the door of the temple and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple towards the east for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from before the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate. He led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces towards the east. And behold, the water was trickling out of the south side. That's a fancy way of saying, look it. He took me inside. I saw where it was coming from. So he took me on the outside and I'm watching this river trickle underneath this threshold. Verse 3 going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand. The man measured a thousand cubits and he led me through the water and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand cubits and he led me through the water and it was knee deep. 
Again, he measured a thousand, and he led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through. Jesus says, if you believe in me, out of your innermost being, as the scripture says, will gush rivers of living water. And this is what I believe he's referencing as to what life in the Holy Spirit looks like. And so notice what he says. The water came first ankle deep. It was shallow. Then the water rose when I walked a little bit further up to my knees. Then when I walked a little bit further more, it came up to my waist. Then when I walked a little bit further more, it was a pool and I could just swim in it. And Jesus says, as the scripture has said, the Holy Spirit will flow out of you in that same way, I believe. Meaning what? Folks, when you start off in your faith, it's always ankle deep. You don't know a lot. You don't, you're not really saturated with God's spirit usually. You're just, I was blind, now I see. Right? I don't know much theology. I don't know how the spirit works. I certainly don't know about conviction. I know that I felt bad after I did it. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, you're getting there. But as you walk a thousand cubits, you go a little bit further, all of a sudden that ankle-deep experience becomes a knee-deep experience. Now you're starting to realize, oh, okay, that's what he sounds like. And oh, that was a dumb move. Okay, and now you're starting to see God do miraculous things. And now you're starting to see answered and the Holy Spirit's starting to reveal a life to you and there's this excitement about grace you may not know totally what it is yet you know and you grab onto mercy because you're like God thank you that I'm not being judged and then you walk a thousand more cubits and you're up to your waist and what you find is that as you keep walking eventually the Holy Spirit submerges you in a life that completely moves with the Spirit In other words, you guys, the longer you walk with God, there ought to be a depth in your experience with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to see something. The experience that Jesus is saying, as the scripture says, that experience gets you wetter and wetter and wetter. In other words, the longer you walk with God, the outcome should not be dryness and parchment. It should be a spirit-filled, wet, saturated life. Now, that is not to say that you're not going to have times that are hard and struggles, and you're going to have a hard time trusting him, given, given for everybody. And if you say you're not, you're not spiritual and you're a liar. (laughs) But listen, even that is a move and a flow to a depth of a relationship with God that gets you more and more wet, trusting that God is moving in your life. Even that. You guys, we're that temple, and this is the work, you guys. This is what it should look like in our life. The question is, you guys, where does this life in the Spirit begin for a person? Turn to Ephesians 2 if you have your Bible. Where does this life in the Spirit begin? Look at Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in the work of the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. Where does life begin? First, it begins by understanding I'm not born with life. I am a sinner, and the Bible says I'm born dead in my trespasses and sins. That comes from the garden. So contrary to what people might be taught in this culture and others, you are generally a good person. The world didn't make you bad. It wasn't you were born perfect and you were born sinless and you just had to live a little time and you got more and more corrupt. You were born corrupt, the Bible says. Now, I may not have been as bad as I could be, granted, but I was as bad off as I could be, prone to Every sin because I was dead in my trespasses and sins. You guys, this is the truth that undergirds the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus and John 3 when Nicodemus says, Teacher, we know that you're a man sent from God for nobody can do the things that you do unless you're from God. And Jesus turns that conversation and says, Unless a person is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. For that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say you must be born again, for the wind blows and you don't see it going, and so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Because I'm dead in my trespasses and sins, I have to be born again. My spirit has to be born again. And you guys, this is what we talk about when we say a person becomes regenerated or a person becomes saved. John chapter 1, verse 13. It is not of the will of the flesh. In other words, you can't will yourself into being saved. Well, if, if, if I just follow the rules that exist in the four walls of these church, I'm good. If I take care of the sacraments, if I'm a, a good husband and I don't cheat on my wife or I'm a good wife and I, and, and I do all the things that a good wife is supposed to do, if I, if, if I just do the ABCs of what my religion tells me and I'm baptized and I tithe money and I give all that stuff, then listen, the will of the flesh will make me saved. That doesn't get you anything. Anything. And so if you're in here or you're watching online and you're a faithful churchgoer, good for you. Are you born again? Because you are dead in your sins and your trespasses, you are without hope in this world. You have no chance of reaching God unless you take the hand that God has given you. That is it. Now, that might be offensive to you, but listen, that's, that's you. Broken before God in desperate need of forgiveness. He doesn't want anything from you. He's not asking. For your, for, your, for your money and for your, your... He's asking for your life. He wants this. He wants you to exercise faith in him. Why? Because broken in your sin, he sent his son to take the place for you. You owe him because you've sinned against him. And the problem is you can't pay that because that will cost you eternity 
and it'll cost you your soul. So while you were a sinner, while you were in rebellion to God, while you weren't seeking him, Christ came and died for your sin. It is not by the will of the flesh, but we're told it is by the will of God. If a person hears the gospel, you guys, and they put their faith in Christ, the Bible tells us then that they become adopted. See, contrary to what you might think, you're not a natural child of God. Well, you know, we, we just existed and we're natural children. No, you're not. Galatians 4 says, yo, you're adopted. You know what adoption is? It's taking something that ain't yours and making it yours. And the Bible says that when that happens in Galatians 4, 6, God does something. It says, because you are a son, God sent forth his spirit into your heart. You guys, when the Holy Spirit comes into a person's heart, this is born again experience, and this is where life begins in the spirit. This is where it starts. This is exactly what was happening in John chapter 20 and verse 22. When all the disciples are gathered together on the day of his resurrection, and it's nighttime, and they're all afraid, and the doors are locked, and they're up there, and they're just kind of waiting for whatever. A couple of people have told them, hey, he's not in the tomb anymore. They went and saw it. They're like, man, we don't know what this means. They're afraid. And Jesus comes in the middle of that, and he says, peace be with you. And he says something in John 20, 22. He breathes on them, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes into them, and they are born again at that point. In other words, you guys, these disciples were as saved as they were ever going to be at that moment. And this word, receive the Holy Spirit, it's in the aorist tense. And what that means, it is done once and for all over with. You have been given the Holy Spirit. You are sealed for the day of redemption. He's yours, you're his. You got all of him. You didn't get shortchanged. And at that moment, you guys, they became the temple of the living God. Now, when Luke gives the same exact account, you guys, the evening of the first day of his, res- of his resurrection in Luke 24, Jesus had just finished walking with the two men on the road to Emmaus. If you read Luke 24, at the beginning of it starts, in the morning, the women went to the tomb. In the afternoon, Jesus met these two men on the road to Emmaus. As the evening approached, they said, stay with us. He said, I gotta go. They go back to the room where all the disciples are gathered in John's um, narrative of it, and they start telling them the story of how Jesus walked with us, and that's where Jesus comes in the middle of it. But here's the thing. John tells us that Jesus breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit. Luke leaves it out. However, he says something that I believe insinuates the same thing, and he says something that's very interesting. Luke doesn't say Jesus breathed on them. But in Luke 24, 25, in the same room, on the same night, as John spoke, he said, Luke says, and he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. I believe he's saying the exact same thing. In other words, John tells you of the event 
of the Holy Spirit coming into them, Luke tells you of the consequence. Their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened to see the scriptures. And you know what I love about that, you guys? That is exactly what happens when a person becomes born again. The Holy Spirit comes into them, and where they once blind, now they can see. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Shouts of Grace Radio, practical conversations from God's Word hosted by Pastor Steve Pearson. We hope you've been encouraged to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. If today's message encouraged you in your journey following and learning more about Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can visit us online at shoutsofgraceradio.com. At shoutsofgraceradio.com, you can listen to all of our episodes, share them online with your friends, and find out more about Pastor Steve. Shouts of Grace Radio is an outreach of Redemption Hill Church in Saratoga Springs, Utah. Thank you again for joining us on today's show. And from all of us at Shouts of Grace Radio, it is our prayer that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ.